0: Well, Father Jonathan, better late than never. Nobody knows that we're late. Don't even say that.
1: <laughs> I mean, right on time, just like always. <laughs> yeah, six Sunday of Easter. We are, we are almost to the end of Easter, and never have I ever wanted
0: ordinary time <laughs> so much as I do these days. Yeah, no, and I know that we keep talking about this, but I do, and I will say this as long as we do talk about it, that I do think that there's a healthy tension in like wanting the next thing to come around. Yeah, yeah. Like we we shouldn't just say, oh, I never want Easter to end or, oh, I never want ordinary time to end. It's like, there's a reason why there's this really great life cycle of the liturgical season that when it comes time, you're ready for for the next thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And there's a whole pedagogy in that, you know, for, you know, looking forward to, you know, the second coming of Christ. Like don't get settled in in your ways, you
0: know? but it is um, important to be able to what was the old saying to flower where you're planted to be able to <laughs> to to find the grace where wherever you are
1: yeah yeah that's true i just got to say so like i don't want to come off a l- like a little bit of a curmudgeon but the the readings are all so very similar every week during this easter season <laughs> It's just yeah. and, I, and i mentioned this a few weeks back like the first two sundays of easter were resurrection appearances And I just don't know why we stopped doing that. I don't know why, even in the daily masses, we have moved to just reflecting at the end of Jesus's earthly ministry before his crucifixion in John's gospel. So like we have all of these, I think the last supper discourses that are happening in the high priestly prayer and all that. So like we're doing, you know, we had this past Sunday, we had the greatest commandment and then all, all throughout the daily masses too. Um, it's all the same and it's very much overlapping. I think the daily mass readings are the same as the Sunday mass readings, uh, for John's gospel. And I just have a hard time like preaching it. It's almost like, okay, I guess just sit there and read it and try to sift out what he's saying with all these like clauses of like (laughs) the father, me, you remain love all that. I don't know. I'm, I'm getting a little bit taxed by it. And then also like with the first reading, it's a lot more of the same, which is just the apostles doing what they do, you know? Um, But that being said, that being said, I did find one thing to latch onto for this upcoming Sunday's uh, first reading that I thought might be worth Mm -hmm. worth talking about and worth preaching about actually, Um, and it it was it was what the first reading says in the first line, uh, and I underlined the word some, so some were instructing the brothers that unless you do this, you won't be saved, Mm -hmm. and I gotta tell you that just put me right in the headspace of all of the like pseudo like pious theology or liturgical best practices that i hear around the parish of like you know if you don't do it this way you're not doing it right or if you <laughs> receive communion that way that's wrong or something and it's like mm-hmm. i immediately thought of that when i read this because it's a really good opportunity to preach about and i know it's kind of an ugly word for people but like authority like who has the authority to define these things um, and to actually speak with authority on these things and this is a great first reading because the council of Jerusalem is that Paul and Barnabas on their own um had to had to go find recourse to the other apostles and elders to settle a question because some people were saying things that ended up not being true you know
0: yeah no i think that's a really good way to put it and in fact that's kind of what i was teasing out of this first reading myself that i think we can get too caught up and this may be what you're what you're struggling with i think we can get too caught up with who's doing what, and what are they doing, and why do I care about what they're doing? Mm -hmm. Instead, I'm really fascinated by this, really by, I mean, the Acts of the Apostles as a whole is this really great um, experience, dialogue, it's a great uh, uh, encounter of the early church just doing stuff and, like, figuring it out and practicing discernment on a on a real practical level. Like, what are we doing now? And how do we come to some sort of agreement, not just with ourselves, but with this gospel that we at least claim to profess? And so I think there's... And to your point, like, sometimes we get it right and sometimes we don't. Right. Um, and so I think it's important to keep that in mind. Like, we're, we're not... Like, they didn't have it down <laughs> as as cleanly and as concisely as we want to as we want to put on them the, the early church i mean yeah, yeah um like there's a lot of things that like you were saying that they got wrong so how do we navigate that how do we do that and i think this language of discernment is something that's really important to keep in mind sure sure um that even yeah. as a church sometimes we can discern not the right thing to do.
1: <laughs> yeah. But it's also like discernment has to give way to, you know, sort of like the church's authority. So I think that yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's a, be- that's a beautiful aspect. In, like, and like, you and I always talk about this with discernment in the spiritual life is that, you know, Ignatius Loyola, at least he gives us the rules for discernment, but he also gives us rules for thinking with the church, because sometimes we can discern spiritually and get it wrong, uh, because we are deceived or we're not being accompanied by someone who has authority. And I got to tell you, there's been a few people that I had conversations with where I listen to them talking about why they prefer certain church practices, or they have certain beliefs about the Holy Father or about the liturgy or something. And I find myself asking like, where'd you get this from? And they say, well, I heard it in my prayer. Mm-hmm. And I think to myself, well, that's that's good that you're listening <laughs> in your prayer. Uh, the question is, who are you listening to? And does it really coincide with the authority of the apostles and elders? And like their authority is also, um, it's not just also nice, but it's essential, you know, that without Paul and Barnabas going to talk to Peter and James, then we would be left with a faction, a faction that doesn't, you know, conduce to the unity of the church, which is precisely what was th- being threatened all the time in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a good reflection for us because I think you and I are often. You know, faced with people who are asking us all these questions that are threatening church unity. You know, just scour the blogs and scour Reddit and scour YouTube, and you see all these Catholics saying all the all the things that are conducive to division. You know, from from other Catholics and not just (laughs) from the world.
0: Yeah, and you know, to I think to kind of bring it into more Ignatian terms, you know, he Ignatius often talks about how you can know it's the good spirit versus the evil spirit, and one of those ways is is there joy there and that's what mm. i loved i love that this uh at the very end of john's gospel for for the sunday it says if you loved me you would rejoice that i'm going to the father mm, for the yeah. father is yeah. greater than i that's right and so that's this good. word rejoice coming coming up it's like okay that's a way that we can tell you know what are we doing who are we looking to who's going to be right blah 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 how are we approaching jesus and god the father yeah <laughs> and are that's we rejoicing good. in what is and what is going on. And if we're not, then that's probably a sign that something is up. That's
1: right. And actually, you know, uh, now that you say that, my eye is drawn to the fact that the gospel is is anticipating Pentecost, which is in two weeks time after the sixth Sunday. And so, like if we're talking about spiritual discernment, that's the Holy Spirit. And joy is one of those fruits of the Holy Spirit. So you could have a whole homily right. built around, how do we know that it's the Holy Spirit? Or do we think that it's just some people who are saying, right? So like, this could be a great opportunity to actually, you know, explicitly talk about the discernment of spirits of like, is this the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit? Or is this the deception that comes from some who are instructing, whether they be evil spirits or people, um, and, and finding joy, like you said, but what are the other fruits of the spirit, you know? And so as we're preparing to enter into Pentecost and the time after Pentecost, this is a really good primer, I think for for that season of the spirit, you know, and thinking about what is the what is the surest sign of the presence of the spirit in your life, you know,
0: yeah, yeah, no, I like that a lot, and something else that just struck me was you know before we started recording, we were talking about how it seems sometimes that like John is kind of weird in the revelation, mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's just seeing some weird stuff, yeah, uh, he is but also, you know, inspired, but like this question of, well, I heard it in my prayer. Like, how am I, and not to say that I'm going to have the, a revelation to the to the level of St. John, but like, there's something interesting that happens in, in our second reading. Uh, he's got this really fantastic kind of otherworldly vision of this great city. But then he says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And I wonder if that's something that we need to keep reminding ourselves, because how often do we have these, you know, personal revelations, let's say, and then create our own golden calf or our, our own Ooh, temple, yeah. our own thing that we set up as the point of, like, we has to be this in order for worship to happen. Yeah. And John is saying exactly the opposite, because because the Lord is the very foundations of everything that we are. And, like, you can't set up this one thing to be, to be, I don't know. It's just uh, something no, that I've been musing on for the, for a minute.
1: Yeah, no, it's good. And I think if you read the rest of that uh, that passage, I think there's a really good indication there too of, of how to discern well. So like, so the city had no need of sun or moon because the glory of God was the light and the mm-hmm. lamp was the lamb. And so how do we discern between light and false light or deceptive light? Well, if it's the light that comes from God and his glory, You know, it's coming from the lamb. And so like anyway, so the language around the lamb being the light and the glory of God. It's like we're looking for how he is illuminating us and we're not being deceived. And so Mm -hmm. um, is this actually helping us come closer to God or am I being deceived by either evil spirits or false teaching? Um, And it's all throughout the New Testament that the disciples were always concerned with. Like Paul says is like and same I think James does too or John. Don't be, don't be estranged by false teaching, but stand firmly in the light. And the light is the glory of God. And there's a good, there's a good, um, I guess, criterion there for how to discern well is like, is this conducive to God's glory truthfully? And God's glory is also manifest, not just in severe rev- reverence towards uh, the liturgy or, or to the Eucharist, of course it is, but also in the unity of the body of Christ. Like the glory of God is very much betrayed when the body is at war with itself. And so there's something to be said there too, you know, when we find ourselves dividing from each other and it's like, okay, hold on, but the vision of the heavenly Jerusalem is one of the 12 apostles are with the Lamb. They're all together. And that union is precisely what the Council of Jerusalem, I think, might be pointing to, you know, at the first reading um, as a clear sign of the Spirit, that is the Spirit of the one body
0: yeah and you know uh, something beautiful that comes up time and again in the Gospels as at large, but specifically here, you know speaking of the Council of Jerusalem, are you prepared to be wrong? Hmm. and what do you do when you are proven wrong? Peter was wrong a number of times in fact, yeah, and yet is and yet is still regarded as you know the first pope, this great rock on on whom our church is built, yeah, yeah. Like there's some, <laughs> there's some, there's something worth praying over right there. No, that's good. Um, that's really good. But yeah. like, and I think also similar, s- similar to that, this idea of the light, I really love, um, because there's a a grandeur to God's light. There's an uh, there's a an immin not imminence, um, immensity, an immensity to it. Like it's it's it is. And I find that the evil spirit's light is a spotlight that only wants you to look at one thing and ignore mm. everything else.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's really good. You know, um, one of the things that Bishop Barron in his uh, in his podcast for his sermons uh, will say about uh, every time that they introduce it is they, they make the distinction between light and warmth. Um, and that he sheds light and warmth on the gospel or like the, that God's God's uh, word sheds light and warmth on us or something like that I just think it's an important distinction too that like the evil spirit casts maybe some light But is there ever warmth in that light mm-hmm. or is it a mm-hmm. cold light? Um, yeah, whereas the light that comes from the Holy Spirit of Pentecost is fire and it's it's not a cold flame It's a fire that actually warms as well, you know um, There's a lot of wonderful imagery there that you could do for discernment I think discernment too often gets um, maybe crystallize into a sort of a, a rational process but also like thinking about light and does the evil spirit just want me to focus like you were saying on a spotlight looking at one thing or is is this is this a sermon actually opening me up to a wider vista of God's revelation you know um, like including the Gentiles for example in the first reading or is it no actually we need to keep this truncated down just to the Jews again mm-hmm. um, you know setting that spotlight just on the people of Israel whereas you know that spotlight is very much widened in that Council of Jerusalem, is that, no, we opened the doors to the Gentiles like we read last week.
0: Yeah, and it is, I don't know that this is a, a tangent worth following, but it is interesting that I i can't think of another place where, um, like, racial divisions have been broken in such a way that neither Jew nor Gentile will be turned away. Hmm. Like, what does it mean to be a Christian? It doesn't mean to be Egyptian. It doesn't mean to be, you know, an Israelite. It means to be a follower of Jesus. Yeah. Like, wh- when does that happen? <laughs> right. I mean, right. it kind of happens these days with a lot of the globalism and modernism and stuff. But like 2,000 years ago, you're talking. Right. We're right. saying that national boundaries don't mean anything. Or right. tribal right. boundaries. Yeah. Or I that mean, we're redefining yeah. what that means. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing because like
1: in the body of Christ for the early church, that Actually, this might be a lesson in and of itself. Is that they could maintain something that we can't do? They can maintain distinction without collapsing everything into uniformity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like we can maintain distinction that there are Egyptians, there are you know Antiochines, and there are Melkites, and there are Greeks, uh, but they all have one head and they're all m- members of one body. Like that diversity doesn't have to be collapsed down to a uniformity. Which in our day and age, it's like unless you look and sound and say the things correctly then you are whatever you're a bigot or something like that. And so there's a beautiful diversity in the gifts that come from the spirit. And that's represented in the many people in the the many nations like the the Psalm for this week says, let all the nations praise you, not let them all be one nation, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. So so I think it's a really, a really nice reminder that the salvation that comes from Christ doesn't flatten out our differences, but makes those differences completely secondary uh, to the unity that
0: is essential well, and it also shows how how bad we are at that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's it's a line that Jesus himself even said that, you know, this isn't going to be an easy life. You know, I don't, what does he say? I'm not, I don't come with peace, but with, with fire. Um, like, it's going to be hard. And I think that's part of why he goes on like this, and to say to trust in the, in the advocate that will come, like, because it's going to be freaking hard for you, and there's going to be a lot of uh of division there's going to be a lot of people actively trying to tear you down actively murdering you Mm. but you know what (laughs) you have to stay strong you have to have faith you have to to keep to keep that light Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm yeah Um, yeah
1: for sure for sure um good 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 um i will say um maybe there's one one other thing to point out here from the gospel for me uh maybe as my parting thought is uh he brings up peace uh, again, which is something that we heard on Resurrection Sunday that we haven't heard in the gospel for a while, um, which is peace I leave you, my peace I give you, which is what we say um, right before we, the sign of peace at Mass. Yeah. Um, and so not as the world gives, do I give it to you. So going back to what you were just talking about, and you know, you were alluding to some of the struggles that we've had racially and nationally, how does the world give peace as opposed to the way that Christ gives mm. peace? It's kind of a question I'm not really sure the answer to. <laughs> um, yeah, is, I is mean, that could, be
0: the, that could be the homily.
1: Yeah, because we are talking a lot. I mean, I've been praying for the situation with Russia and Ukraine and NATO and all that at mass uh, for peace and resolution and all that. Um, Is that the kind of peace that the Lord is describing? Uh, You mentioned, you know, he said, I did not come to bring peace, but to bring the sword. Um, But he's saying, I did bring you peace. But what kind of, you know what I mean? So like that's Mm -hmm. that's something to really unpack uh, a little bit is that the spirit comes. And one of the sure signs of the presence of the spirit is peace as a fruit of the spirit. Um, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, you know, and yeah, I'm not sure. Like, not as the world gives it to you, do I give it to you. Maybe it's like, not the Pax Romana, which is you're a citizen of the empire, but something wider and beyond national security. Um, Kind of like you were saying, you know, that there are, it goes beyond national borders. And so peace can't just be militaristic and it can't just be legal, Um, but it's something spiritual, maybe. Yeah.
0: You know, I'm reminded of that great Uh, image of the man what was it world war one where christmas eve uh they like there was a ceasefire and they celebrated mass together oh wow uh the good and the bad guys i don't remember exactly where it was in germany somewhere uh but like this idea that even in the middle of a literal world war that we can have, we can put down our guns, put down our weapons and come together to worship the Lord. Mm. Like there's something there. There's something to that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Especially since like this might be, I, I think you're right. There could be a whole this just also because of the the, the appropriateness giving, mm. given the, the conflicts in our world, uh, both racially and ideologically and politically, but also just given the fact that we're going to have Pentecost two weeks later and... And mm-hmm. uh, that's precisely the Pentecost homily of Peter is he's preaching to all these people from all over the world and they're all receiving the spirit, you know, through him and it brings peace. And there's a, there's a, you know, we'll talk about this when we get to Pentecost, but like that traditional interpretation as the inverse, the, the reversal of the tower of Babel is that there's true peace when the spirit descends, not when men construct, you know, mm-hmm. ladders yep. to the sky.
0: Yep. Yep. Well, yeah. And it goes back to that line from, um, from Revelation that there was no temple in the city. Like this isn't the thing for us to build into worship in this way. Yeah. You know, when we're in this, you know uh, in the New Jerusalem, like it's not about going to this one thing and, and only seeing this narrowly defined uh light, but rather to see the grandeur of the entirety.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. I like that. Or something that. like that. <laughs> no, that's good. Very good. Well, I think also I mean you know, the whole the whole second reading does say like there were three gates facing east, uh, three facing north, three facing south, three facing west. Um, the twelve tribes, the twelve names, all with yeah. the lamb. It's like, okay, yeah. this, this is, is not limited to one hundred forty-four thousand elect. Right, you know, like,
0: that's the encounter that that Saint Paul speaks about, that earthquake experience. Right, right, and
1: it's open. It's open to all, you know, yep. as an as an offer for sure. Cool, man. All right, dude. Till next time. All right, pal.